Welcome to Joyfully Queer, a podcast dedicated to celebrating the vibrant colors of our community and the strength and resilience that lies at the heart of it all. I'm your host, Bethany, your guide to all things queer and joyful. I'm an activist, an artist, an interfaith spirituality and wellness coach, and a proud member of the LGBTQ community. Here at Joyfully Queer, we are exploring the beauty of our lives and identities. We're here to be a reminder that our joy is powerful, resilient, and absolutely worth celebrating. From the smallest victories to the grandest of achievements, we're diving deep into the moments that make our souls sing. We're here to have fun, explore the fullness of our stories, and celebrate the impact that being free to live our most authentic lives has, both in our community and in the world. We'll be chatting with incredible guests, exploring personal narratives, and unpacking the things that makes the queer experience special. So whether you're a member of the LGBTQ community or an ally, Joyfully Queer is the place for you. So let's get started. everybody. Welcome back to Joyfully Queer. I'm so excited that on the podcast today, we have Reverend Dr. Angela Yarber. She is an award-winning author, artist, and founder of T-Home Center Publishing. It's a nonprofit imprint that publishes feminist and queer authors with a commitment to elevate BIPOC writers. Five of her eight books were listed in Q Spirit's top LGBTQ religion books, and her work has been featured in Forbes, HuffPro, NPR, Miss Magazine, and on the television show Tiny House Nation. You can learn more at www.thomecenter.org. Angela, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. It's bringing a lot of joy to my day. Oh, that makes me so happy. I'm so glad you're here. Um, why don't I did a little introduction, but why don't you introduce yourself to the folks at home? Sure. So I'm Angela, and um, my pronouns are she, her. I am a queer mama with uh, two kiddos and a wife, and I run to Home Center Publishing, and I have a kind of a wily past. I'm a retired professional dancer. I'm a queer clergy woman who was a pastor for a while. I've been a professor. I'm a working artist. So I have a hard time picking only one thing that brings me joy. But in my professional life right now, my primary role is I'm a a part-time affiliate professor, and then I run a publishing company. And uh, I can't wait to talk about the myriad things that bring me queer joy and how I try to bring queer joy to the world. What does queer joy mean to you? You know, I've been thinking about that a bit lately, um, especially around the holiday season. And I often equate elements of queer joy with subversion mm-hmm. and and with the idea of dismantling. So normally we think of those things as kind of like more ragey or angry, but it brings me like giddiness to disrupt the status quo and to dismantle systems that are strategically designed to disenfranchise queer people and and also to be an ally and an advocate alongside others who might not be queer or who have different intersecting identities that 
experience that marginality. Whew, that's a lot of big words to throw out at one time, but like it is being our own innate fabulous selves, but doing that in a way that um, raises the heteronormative eyebrow or um, mm-hmm. maybe even evokes a little pearl clutching. Like there's something about it that is innately subversive um, because especially up until recently, historically, and even still, you know, queer people, the societal narrative and the religious narrative has been um, one of shame at best, um, violence at worst, and hiding self. And so to be self fully and um, out and proud and subversive and queer and colorful and glittery and whatever it might be, um, I think is a really joyful, a joy-filled thing to do. I completely agree. I can remember um, when I was first kind of conceptualizing the podcast, having a little bit of a conversation with you and talking about how um, queer joy is an act of resistance. And what you said really reminds me of that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it's not the same, but it's parallel to some other movements. Um, for example, um, Black girl magic and Black joy and others who have experienced disenfranchisement, marginality and systems that that hurt them saying, you know, joy, just like rest, is an act of resistance in a world. And so to look at queer people who are happy who are satisfied, who are joy-filled um, when the world or the church or, you know, different elements of society are telling them that they shouldn't be or not to be, um, I think is a really subversive and powerful act. Absolutely. So uh, then what brings you queer joy? Mm, um, I have some of the things that I think are like classic standard answers. And then I have the ones that are really maybe unique to who I am. So I'll I'll share some of the standard. Like um, this morning, I um, went to Zumba and, you know, shook my booty to loud music with a room full of sweaty people. And that brought me a lot of joy. Um, Listening to my empowering feminist playlist, that brings me a lot of joy. Painting, because I'm an artist, um, that brings me a lot of joy. Um, and then there's the elements of like my professional life as a publisher and as a writer that bring me a tremendous amount of joy such that I'm like, is this really my job? Am I really this lucky that this is what I get to do? But it's so let me share like some statistics that back this up. So like, you know, I've been an author for about 12 years and I've published eight books and Whenever I worked with all the different publishing companies that I worked with, it became very obvious to me that most of them, most independent publishing companies, don't get the nuances of what it means to be queer or feminist. And definitely not if you're dealing with um, elements of joy and social justice. Like they like the um, voyeuristic trauma porn of like the Mm -hmm. pain of queer people's lives and not those subversive, beautiful, joyful elements. And then in since that was my experience, I did some research and learned that only 16% of published authors identify as LGBTQIA+. Um, even worse, only 11% are people of color. And that is 
just stupefying to me. And so when I started to home center publishing, it was to me an act of resistance, which is an act of joy. It was to say, we prioritize and only actually publish feminist and or queer authors with a commitment that at least half of those identify as BIPOC. Um, and it's such a joyful process, not just the publishing piece, but because we offer some coaching programs that help people write or market their books or um, or leverage their books for their business. I'll take marketing as an example. Like I'm a person whose background is academics and ministry, right? So normally the word marketing would make me break out in hives. And I would think is like skeezy and salesy and yucky, but there's been something really liberatory about doing that through a queer lens that's not taking advantage of people, but instead is saying, you know what marketing is? It's sharing your message of, for you, queer joy with the world. Like who doesn't want to do that, right? And so empowering these people, these authors that I'm working with to realize that they have a powerful story to share and the world deserves to hear it, um, needs to hear it in order to be a more just and joyful society. Um, but that also like empowering them to realize not sharing their story and not sharing their message is actually um, I'm trying to find the right word here. Like is, I, I, it makes you want to say, how dare you? How dare you not share your message with the world? Um, and for me, that brings so much joy to my life. And I think, I don't want to toot my own horn, but I think for the authors that I work with in particular, brings them a tremendous amount of joy to know that their work and their mission and the why behind why they write is valued so deeply um, by our company it means that means a lot to me. One of the reasons I wanted to do this podcast is because so many of the stories that we hear are just tragic, you know, tragic coming out stories, tragic love stories. Um, it's pretty rare. Um, at least when I was growing up, it was very rare for me to hear anything that was positive about the LGBTQ plus experience. And now I think we're getting a little bit better with like YA books and things like that, but mm -hmm. it's still really overwhelmingly about tragedy. Um, and so I love that you're bringing forward and creating more space for folks to share their stories in their fullness. Um, and I'm wondering if you could speak to, you did a little bit already, but maybe a little bit more about why you think that's important. I think that it's important because the narratives that are so often lifted up about queer people um, are ones, like you said, of tragedy and pain and suffering. And I don't want to ignore those stories. Those are incredibly important. And I always think about this really beautiful quote by um, queer Chicana feminist Gloria Anzaldúa, who says, the world I create in my writing compensates for what the real world does not give me. And I think of what the real world is giving us. And it's giving us, I mean, blatantly, like, still there are discriminatory practices in the United States and throughout the world, of course. There are violent practices. There's hate crimes. Um, and then there's all the microaggressions that still exist in a society, even when you have access to equal rights. Um, 
So that's what the world is giving us. And then anytime they do lift up a story, it is, um, for example, instead of celebrating like trans month or week of awareness, we focus only on trans day of remembrance, which is incredibly important. And we need to do that. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But we also need to say, you know, there are a lot of trans people whose lives and identities are not a tragedy. They are a joy of living fully and to who they are. And that's something that should be celebrated and lauded and lifted up as an example for cis people to say, here is an example of authenticity. Here's an example of truly loving yourself so fully in a world that's created that does not love you, that you're offering a corrective. Um, And so I think that lifting up those stories is so powerful because we have to offer correctives to the stories that we've been hearing. And maybe we'll get to a point, I hope one day, where it equals out, right? Where we don't have to be like, just spread your joy (laughs) because there's enough to go around. But we're not in that world right now. And so the writing that we create the podcasts that we host, in your case, the the work that we do has to be a corrective mechanism for what the real world is offering us. I think that that's I think that that's so true and so powerful. Um, and you're an author yourself. Would you say that that was a goal that you had when you were writing um, your books? Yeah, I would say not as much at first. I don't think I had thought about it quite as critically at first. Um, and also, most of my first sets of books were academic. And so they were very academic focused and were more about being like a a check mark on a CV than actually making an impact. Um, But my most recent book, my memoir, Queering the American Dream, is definitely about that. It is very much about subverting not just gender and sexuality, right? But that I think the act of queering is so much bigger than that. Like I say, the way that I parent is a queer act. The way that I eat is a queer act. The The way that we celebrate the holidays is is being queered, right? And so it's these subversive, um, resistant acts that, um, like I said earlier, often cause either a raised eyebrow or some pearl clutching. But It's my hope that those subversive acts also cause people to think more critically um, and maybe create more space for empathy. Um, So that was definitely a a big part of of my writing. And as I'm working on kind of my next writing project, um, the space for queer joy, even though I wouldn't have necessarily articulated as such, is actually really a pivotal part of the story. That's amazing. I think that queer joy is infused in so many things that you don't necessarily at first think about it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I think that um, queer joy exists in any in any space that we exist in, and um, finding it is is what's really important. Absolutely, and I think one thing that I haven't mentioned yet that has been so pivotal in my personal life. And then in my professional life with the publishing company is the idea of queer community. Um, I know something uh, that has been the highlight of this calendar year for me is um, I've reconnected with this really small cohort of queer clergy women. Most of us are no longer practicing that, but that's still an identity that we share. And we gather every other week 
on Zoom and then once a year for like a retreat. And just being in the company of people who get it, you know, and even having this conversation with you, being with another queer person who I don't have to explain all the nuances of straight supremacy and heteronormativity, but you just, you get it. You get what it means when I say every time I go camping with my family and my wife, I walk in and they tell me to have my husband go back the camper into a camping spot and they haven't even seen my family, but that's just the assumption. Um, and some people, like when I share that story with straight people, the reactions are either like, oh my, how dare they? Or like, who cares? You know, they, it's just one time. And I'm like, no, it's not one time. It actually happens every single time. <laughs> I can't yeah. believe a time that it hasn't happened. But to be in a community of people who get uh, the nuances of both the pain and the microaggressions, but also the joy and the authenticity of being in queer community has been really um, quite revolutionary for me and for my mental health. And I think that being willing to share your story in community is really, um, really empowering for other folks to be able to do the same. Like you shared that story about camping and it immediately made me think about how when my wife and I were um, getting prepared to be married, we went to uh, some wedding fairs. These are like large events that have all sorts of vendors who cater weddings and do everything from photography to hosting the space to catering food, things like that. And every booth that we went to uh, made the assumption that we were best friends who were getting married on the same day uh, to other people, <laughs> yeah. right? just like a queer couple looking for resources for our wedding. And when I tell people that they're just, they're just shocked by it. Um, but this was something that happened with at least half of the vendors that we spoke with. Mm-hmm. And recently, it's not like you got married 35 years ago. No, mm -mm. this was 2019. You know, gay marriage had been legal for several years at that point. Mm -hmm. Um, It it was mind boggling. One of my absolute favorite stories like that, that I actually share in my book, Queering the American Dream, is we, the story recounts how we traveled full time um, for about two years with our toddler. And the day we left was the day the Supreme Court ruled gay marriage legal, right? So we're kind of traveling in this post-gay marriage American landscape. But at one of the places where we were campground hosts, which is basically where you just like welcome people to the campground and you sweep out fire pits and things like that in exchange for staying there for free. And we were in rural Southern Virginia. So that probably tells you a lot. We're in rural Southern Virginia and I walk up, my wife and our toddler are finishing a hike. So I'm there to greet people. I walk up to a couple. Uh, The wife is wearing this light pink t-shirt that says blessed um, (laughs) in rhinestone. She has a very thick Southern accent. And there are people with Southern accents who are absolutely lovely. I'm not hating on that. I'm from the South. But it it helps capture the essence to do her accent. So I'm greeting her, welcoming them to the campground, letting them know the campground rules. And we're having a conversation. And then my wife and child finish up their hike. And so here comes my two-year-old just like running toward me with his arms open. So sweet. So I scoop him up in a hug. And the blessed woman says, and who is this? And I said, oh, this is my child, Raya. And and then she looks at my wife and points and she goes, well, who's this then? 
And just as I'm about to say, oh, this is my wife, I say, this is my, and she interrupts me and says, oh, that is so sweet that she is here helping you with the baby while your husbands are deployed in the military. What? And I was like, come again? Like where, how, what? Is there some kind of roving band of military wives that travel throughout Southern Virginia that I don't know about? Or like what kind of mental gymnastics do you have to do to create that robust of a story to make up that you can't identify like, oh, it's a queer family? Right. There were several hoops there that she had to jump through to get to that. Wow. That's amazing. (laughs) And she ended up being perfectly kind when I offered a corrective, but still it was just like, does it really not cross your mind? Um, And so sometimes I think an element of queer joy is just being who we are in public spaces. You know, it's not just taking my kids to a pride parade, but just being a family in a restaurant or at the playground or whatever it might be is this act of resistance, which is itself, I think, an act of joy because it's saying to the world, uh, we don't have anything to apologize here. We're fabulous. Thank you very much. Absolutely. And so this wasn't one of the questions that I sent to you ahead of time. So if you don't want to talk about it, let me know. But I'm wondering, since we talked a little bit about being public and sharing our families out in public, um, I was wondering if you wanted to talk a little bit about what it's like living in Florida and being a queer family out in public. Yeah, that's a good one. It's interesting because uh, the last um, podcast that I did was called, um, it's called The Heretic of the Week. And their focus um, for this most recent series that they're doing is called Too Fab for Florida. Oh my God. (laughs) They're interviewing queer people in Florida. I will offer the caveat, two caveats. One is we don't plan to stay in Florida much longer. Um, Two is we do live in St. Petersburg, Florida, which is if you're going to be in Florida, it's kind of the place to be. It has the Southeast's largest pride. Uh, pride lasts all month long. We've got our rainbow crosswalks and there truly are rainbow flags scattered throughout the city um, in a lot of places. So it's not that I am, there's no lack of those things. And it was, it recently made like a top 10 list of like happy places to be queer. But it still exists within the state, right? And so that means that currently both my children are, they're in two different public schools, um, but both are the only kids with queer parents in their classes. Um, They both are also the only um, adopted and foster children in their classes. Um, And that means that parents, none from their classes that I know of, but from their grade, have protested and brought to the school board different films that they were watching and different books. So the book ban, I think, has been one of the hugest Mm -hmm. things. And then the don't say gay bill, um, you know, essentially means that it's up to teachers to discern. And we've been very lucky to have some good teachers since we've been here, Um, you know, that I know on the day that we showed up when, you know, the second grade teacher is wearing a Black Lives Matter mask. Um, you know, cause this was still kind of right after COVID. Um, you know, I know like that's a signal to me that you're going to be on our side and be on the side of justice. But there have been other teachers where when I mentioned something about, oh, you know, I'm just, I'm one of 
my child's moms, da da da. Um, they've said things like, "Oh, we don't talk about this." Um, so like my kids can't even talk about their own parents um, is absurd. Um, so it's we haven't faced any overt discrimination here by any means. Um, we're pretty lucky to be in a progressive bubble in our city and in our circle of friends and community that we've created. Um, but that doesn't take away from the fact that my children are not seeing any reflections of themselves where they are. And that's one of the main reasons that that we intend to move. Um, and I'm not going to lie, I was hoping we'd be able to move before this upcoming election cycle, and that's probably not going to happen. So I am dreading and I have to be really honest. Um, you know, we have some extended family here and of course we love them very much and they love us, but they don't support the same candidates that we support. And it is a real punch to the gut to know that someone wants to vote for DeSantis and not just vote for him, but like wear a hat that has his name on it and like him so much, even though he doesn't want, you know, my trans friends to even exist in the state. Um, let alone us be able to talk about my children, be able to talk about their own parents in the classroom. And so that can be incredibly challenging. Um, I also see part of it as a call while we're living here as much as I can, um, considering my own self-care and mental health, um, that I have a couple other colleagues who are, you know, big queer activists. Um, and for us to, you know, to say with gratitude, well, I'm glad I'm actually going to be here during this election cycle because maybe my vote will actually count towards something. Mm -hmm. So it's, uh, you know, a real mixed bag, but also all queer people shouldn't feel like it's our responsibility to change the tides and the status quo. That's exhausting. <laughs> it, yes, it is. And it's not our responsibility, right? Like we're one small part of a larger movement. Mm-hmm. I love that you live in St. Pete. It's one of my favorite places to go. Um, and when I tell folks, oh, you know, I love to go to Florida with my best friend's family every year, every other year, as much as I can. Um, I get a lot of weird looks, but we go to the St. Pete area where where it's very affirming. There are drag shows and rainbows everywhere. And um, I'm really thankful that you found yourself in kind of a, a more progressive bubble um, that's still, you know, close to the water and all the wonderful things that Florida has to offer. Right. Exactly. I often say, I think people get this analogy a bit more because St. Pete isn't as popular, but I say it's like Austin is in Texas. You know, it's this blue dot and a sea of red. Um, and the fact that it's on the water doesn't hurt. It is quite pretty. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, speaking of by the water, uh, something that you do a lot of is uh, hosting retreats for folks. And I was supposed to attend your queer clergy women retreat back in 2020 in Hawaii that got canceled because of COVID. Um, but I'm very excited that I'm going to be attending your writing retreat in a few months. Um, and I was wondering if you wanted to talk a little bit about creating space for queer folks to come together um, for retreats. Absolutely. I'm so glad that you brought that up. And I cannot tell you how excited I am that finally after, you know, it'll be 2024. So after four years, 
of trying to come on retreat together that you finally get to come. And if I can toot your horn, uh, Bethany also won one of our writing contests. Um, so she uh, got a, a very good rate on this retreat, but her essay was amazing. I'm just so, so excited. I jumped up and down and squealed when I got that email. It was very exciting. <laughs> I'm so glad. Anytime I can make someone jump up and down and squeal makes my day. Um, so I am, I've partnered with uh, Dr. Kate Evans, who she is, has published a book with To Home Center Publishing. And also one of her previous books won the Best Bisexual Book Award of the year when it came out. Um, that book is called Call It Wonder. And the book that she published with us is called Wanderland. It's really good. Um, and she lives part-time in Baja, Mexico. And so we have this gorgeous retreat center that's, you know, it's kind of, it's very luxurious. And what I'm excited about is that most of the retreats that I've led in the past, while the accommodations have been beautiful and comfortable, none of them have been luxury, right? So this will be my first time leading something in like a luxury resort type space. And I, you know, as a person who's very like rage against capitalism and work for the oppressed and all of that, since that's my mindset, sometimes I feel a little ee when I think about doing luxury things. And simultaneously, I think that people with marginalized identities deserve to be completely like the word for me is like lavish, like lavished in your luxurious sheets overlooking the beautiful crashing ocean and surrounded by other, um, it's for, for women and non-binary kindred. So um, quite a few queer writers are coming, some women and some non-binary folks. And to be able to write and rest and restore in a community that is uh, missionally aligned, meaning, you know, we share very similar values. Um, I think is so, so important, um, both for writers, but also for queer folks who just need time away to like breathe and wake up without an alarm clock and sit in a hot tub uh, and eat delicious food. Like those are all things that we deserve to have in our life. And to me, part of the work that I do is helping create spaces and avenues for people to have access to that who maybe can't have that in their everyday life. I mean, I, I would love to do live that kind of life every day, but that's not a life I get to have every day. <laughs> so if we can, you know, for a week in April, and if I might say, uh, we do still have a few spaces left. I think we've got four single rooms and maybe four double rooms left. Um, and, uh, by the end of this year, our early bird discount will end. So if anybody who's listening is interested, you'll get $200 off registration. Go to tohomecenter.org slash 2024 Mexico. And I can send you that link so that they can. So we'll put that in the show notes. In the show notes. Yeah. Um, but it's a, it's a beautiful space. And uh, I think Kate is brilliant. She retired very early from being a creative writing professor. So she'll do a lot with kind of the craft of writing. And then I'm going to do a lot with kind of the, the business side of writing and living the writing life. So talking to people about how to get published, maybe even published with To Home Center Publishing, but also like how to craft a life so that you can be the creative or the writer that you want to be instead of that having to be 
like your side gig that you squeeze in between your nine to five. Mm -hmm. What a gift for folks that I just can't wait to be there. And I really hope that um, it's a full event. Me too. Me too. I'm excited. Um, yeah, that I'm, I'm thrilled at how many spaces have filled so quickly. Um, but there is still, is still space left. So I'm really excited about it. Wonderful. Well, we're, um, wrapping up here. I was wondering, do you have any like parting thoughts that you'd like to share before we, before we go? Um, sure. I think I have kind of three things, um, a parting thought that I'll say for last. And one is an invitation and one is a little free goodie for people. So is that all right if I share those? That's perfect. Yes. Okay. Um, so since this is December, for anyone listening, if you are a queer writer and you really want to publish a book, um, I hope that you can check us out at tohomecenter.org and just check out our publishing opportunities because they uh, do not cost you anything. But if you want some help along the way with, you know, book coaching, book marketing, um, leveraging your book to build your brand and your business, we do have a winter cohort opening. And so joining that January through March would be a great opportunity to kind of check off the bucket list item of publishing a book in 2024. Um, and so you can check that out on our website. And I would be thrilled to have any listeners um, register for the cohort and join us because it's not just that the writing and the coaching is important, but the community that ends up getting formed in these cohorts between the writers is just, it's really revolutionary to me because again, it's kind of creating that container, that safe and brave space for people who share similar values. So inviting people to to sign up for that if they are so inclined. And then um, a little free gift for everyone who is interested. We've got a feminist editing guide, which is great. Whether you're a writer or not, you still write on social media. You still write, you know, emails to people. And this feminist editing guide is a great way to kind of help you read through the lens, not just of avoiding the rogue comma splice, but uh, the lens of making your writing more queer, just, diverse, equitable. Um, and so we'll have that linked in the show notes too. And then my final closing thought would be um, that choosing joy is, like we said, an act of resistance. And just being fully and authentically who you are is a gift to the world. That just by being your full queer self, you are, uh, to be cliche, like, you know, dropping glitter sparkles all over the planet. And that brings joy to others and sets an example of what it means to be fully human. And uh, that brings me a lot of joy. Well, thank you so much. That was beautiful. Um, I'm thank so excited you. about all the, the work that you're doing in the world. And um, I'm definitely going to post all of your links in the show notes so folks can check you, you out. And uh, thank you so much for being on the podcast. We'd love to have you back. I would love that. And thanks so much for hosting this podcast and for bringing all the joy in the world that you do from this podcast to your work, to your queer and crafty creations. I love it. You just drip joy and that makes me happy. Glimmer. Welcome back to my favorite part of the podcast. Glimmers.
This part of the show is a time to lift up the things that make us smile and celebrate moments that remind us all that even in the midst of life's challenges, there's always a glimmer of joy. Something you might not know about me is that my wife Kelsey and I own a small business called Queer and Crafty Creations. We sell art online and at various art fairs and craft markets around New Mexico. Last weekend, we had the chance to attend a huge Christmas bazaar, and we had a blast getting to see so many people from our community turn out. I mean, even Santa Claus and the Grinch were there. It was great. We always have great interactions with customers at our events, but I have to tell you about this one gentleman who stopped by our booth. He was older, and he walked by and and stopped mid-walk and started staring into our booth eyeing our sign. I know sometimes when that happens, I get a little bit nervous because our sign is rainbow. We have queer in the name. You never know really what sort of reaction you're going to get. And he looked kind of like an older conservative man. Um, So I just didn't know. I didn't know what his reaction was going to be. But he, he looked at the sign and you could tell he was reading it. And then he, he read it again And then he looked at me and he grinned this huge grin and he gave me a thumbs up and he said, your name, I love it. Very edgy. And then he walked away. It was just so sweet and it brought a smile to my face and I'm still smiling about it a week later. So that's my glimmer for this week. If you have a glimmer that you would like to submit to the podcast, you can do that by emailing me at joyfullyqueerpod at gmail.com. Thanks. If you liked this episode and want to help the Joyfully Queer community grow, there are a few things you can do. Please make sure you like, subscribe, and leave a positive review for Joyfully Queer on your favorite podcasting site. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook at Joyfully Queer and on Instagram at Joyfully Queer Podcast. I truly want this podcast to represent our community. So if you would like to be a guest on the show, or if you have a topic that you think would make a great episode, please email me at joyfullyqueerpod at gmail.com. Until next time, this is your host, Bethany, wishing you a queer-tastic day.